0: Welcome back to another episode of Cyrus's Podcast. I am so stoked to have you guys back, um, as always, of course. But today, I'm especially excited. I had another guest scheduled, and they canceled on me last minute. And that allowed me to move up one of my favorite people on this earth, Jack Hennings, my business partner, my mentor, uh, he has taught me so much about this business, so much about life, and I'm so excited to have you on on the podcast today, Jack.
1: Well, thank you, my friend. It's nice to hear that I'm second place today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? Second place, but first place in my heart. <laughs> Got that
1: down. I might be a second place
0: Cyrus. So, so Jack, I I, I want to share your story because your story is one of the most interesting stories ever. Um, and I want to share your story, and I want to go back to. I know so much about it, but let's go back to when did you sell your first property? My gosh,
1: that was uh, right after college. Uh, I'd been married a couple of years. Actually, I got married. uh, uh, Deborah, my wife, was a senior in college, and uh, I had dropped out of college to do a political campaign. I was on Dick Nixon's staff uh, in 1968, and then worked with Senator Patton as his campaign manager for the state of Georgia. I was a young guy that didn't know any better. So I ran a statewide campaign for the United States Senate when I was still in college. And uh, so I dropped out of college to run the the campaign work with Nixon and with Senator Patton, and had to go back into college, uh, uh, uh to finish my senior year while my wife, Deborah was a senior as well. And, uh, I found a program that was called FHA 235. I remember it was a federal program uh, that was to subsidize low-income people. And I thought, well, I'm a college student. I'm low-income. <laughs> so so I, I found out what the qualifications were. Uh, and at that time, I was going to school and selling life insurance and just, you know, making a little bit of income uh, as a college student and qualified for the FHA 235 house. The neighborhood that these properties, uh, it was an urban renewal kind of thing. And they they had certain lots that the house could be built on. But I was able to find a lot in a very nice neighborhood that uh, qualified for FHA 235. So I bought this lot. I used my credit card as the down payment. How much was the house? The house total was $16,000. Oh
0: my God. Yeah, that
1: was one of the more expensive properties that I bought. (laughs) (laughs) So I used the $500 on my credit card as the down payment. I used a line of credit in one county for the lot and another line of credit in another county to purchase the house. Back then, we didn't have computers to tell us what was being borrowed where. All they had was the county records, and I used that to my advantage. Wow! So I bought the lot, I bought the house with my five hundred dollar credit card, <laughs> and uh, that was my first purchase. Uh, it be paying rent and living, you know, on campus. Yeah, exactly. So I was a college student buying properties my senior year. Of
0: okay, so I actually didn't know you were still in college, so that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I um I also think that we skipped over some stuff over there that I'm going to go back to because this is very interesting. So you mentioned you were you were on Mr. Nixon's president, President Nixon's campaign. campaign. Yes. And how old were you?
1: Twenty
0: one. Wow. Yeah. So you were you were on President Nixon's campaign. And then and then after that, you actually Earl Patton. I was working with Nixon and Earl
1: Patton was a part of that campaign uh, coordinating. I lived in Georgia at that time, coordinating the the efforts, the campaign efforts in Georgia. And he asked me if I would come over from Nixon's campaign into his campaign. He needed somebody to coordinate what he was doing, running for the United States Senate. I said, sure, I'll help you out. So I cleared it with the Nixon staff. They said, yeah, go help out Earl, and it was Earl Patton. and he. He was my hero and still is, He was a great man. I learned a lot from Earl and uh, it came time for me to go back into school and finish my senior year. And he said, Jack, uh, I, I appreciate that. I said, well, Earl, I need to talk with whoever you're gonna have as your state campaign manager to tell him what's going on in the office, how to handle the staff and you know what appointments we have and everything that I was doing. He said, well, you know you know the, the guy I'm going to choose. I said, well, no, I don't. i probably know him, but I don't know who it is. He said, I want you to do it. And I said, no, Earl, I'm talking about your state campaign. I've been kind of a, a volunteer coordinator here in the, the office in Atlanta. He says, you've been running my state campaign all summer, Jack. I said, well, I have, but I'm not your campaign manager. He said, well, will you be my campaign manager <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time in my life I said, I need to sleep on this. Yeah. So I I went home and I thought about it and uh, I went back. I said, Earl, you know, I'm 21 years old. You're asking me to run a statewide campaign for the United States. Senate. Uh, I've run, I've worked with the Nixon campaign, but I've never done anything of this magnitude. He said, Jack, you've been doing it all summer. Will you keep doing what you're doing? I said, yeah, let's go for it.
0: So, so I, um, I have a, uh, um, I'm curious when when he asked you this. And, and I might be having you dig back, you know, to memories or whatnot, but when he asked you this, was there like why did you think about it? Was it because you had self-doubt? Was it no. because you didn't think you could do it? No,
1: it was the magnitude of the request.
0: I knew I could do it. Uh, I,
1: I was, there was never any doubt because I knew what it took. To, to run the campaign and I'd been doing it. yeah uh, he just did not give me the title. So I knew it was a matter of just accepting the responsibility. Uh, it was it was that was a big big responsibility. We're talking about a United States
0: senatorial campaign.
1: yeah so uh, it was more of the magnitude of the responsibility. Than the ability to do the job.
0: So you felt that you could do the job, but you were you you also knew that as soon as you accepted that that you were going to be responsible. I to was do the, the man. Job.
1: I was the man. I remember going into a smaller community in southern Georgia, and uh, I was there to to do the preliminary work uh, before the candidate came into town, and the local campaign committee was there, and uh, they int- I just introduced myself as Jack with the Patton campaign. I said, oh, are you with the youth committee? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was 21 years old Yeah. And a little headed kid. I said, no, I'm not with the youth committee. He says, well, what job are you here for? I said, I'm the campaign manager. He says, I don't understand. Are you in charge of the youth? I said, no, sir. I am Senator Patton's campaign manager. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that kind of thing. Yeah. So I had my my whole from age 19 to 30, I had to explain continually that I was not too young to do what I was
0: doing. I want to dive into that. Um, I think that in the real estate industry in business, and business, and I dealt with it and you helped me through it. Right. And, and and I want to dive into when, pe- when you show up somewhere and you are very successful in your craft, very successful where you're at. But people see it as you're too young right. to be there. Right. Like, how do you deal with that?
1: Uh, uh, tremendous self confidence and to be able to show right away that the job is being done, done 110%. So, those that are in any industry, especially in their 20s, have to prove themselves and prove themselves yeah. quickly. And then it takes a pretty tough skin after that because yeah. some people get intimidated because they say to themselves or out to other people, well, I didn't do that when I was 20. Yeah. So I have to be able to, to understand that that's where they're coming from and that I am doing the job. I can do it uh, better than, than most. And uh, the work is getting done. It's getting done very efficiently. Plus you have to, have to dress a little older
0: yeah someone someone told me um and that someone was you was uh when you're on the top of the hill you're an easier target there's only one person up there right so so my 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 point being is um when when i was going through it we had to talk about hey like showing up dressing xyz way like showing like there's no room for error right because people already expect you to fail easy easy target and they
1: want want to prove that
0: their, that they're right.
1: Their perception is what is correct.
0: Yeah. So, so you felt that being I mean, in that campaign. Oh,
1: not only in the campaign, but afterwards, after the campaign, I was appointed uh, to a federal job as a as a state director. Uh, so I was the youngest federal state director in the United States at age 27. I was responsible for the Department of Agriculture for the whole state. That, wow. That so a, you were the state director of agriculture right. for, for Georgia. Right. And uh, that was at age 27. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it, even at that point, yeah, uh, there were people that would come to me and say, you know, you're younger than my son. How in the hell are you doing this? Yeah. I said, well, your son is probably a very qualified person. Too. So, <laughs> you know, I had to have my answer.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I did that at age 27. So... So, you're in politics. You've bought and sold multiple properties during yeah. this time. Yeah.
1: During the campaign, they, they don't last forever. Yeah. And I flipped my first property in 1973. Uh, at that point, there was no, they did not call it flipping. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I was just the guy in the community that would buy up the old houses in nice neighborhoods and sell them. So, it was a very easy do for me. Yeah. My wife is an interior designer and she would do the interior. I had a contractor that worked for me. Uh, I did not use mortgages. I had a line of credit with several banks yeah. and I would use that line of credit because uh, they loved me. Yeah. I, at that point, I had a $60,000 line of credit. Well, the average salary was 12, a uh, very good salary was $12,000 a year. Yeah. So that'd give you an idea. Uh, to, in today's market, that'd be over a million dollar line of credit. So I had that line of credit. I would go buy these houses. Some of them wouldn't even have windows in. And what I would do is pick out properties that were in good neighborhoods, yeah. solid neighborhoods. And the neighbors would want; they'd love me. I was the guy that would fix up their neighborhoods. So of they course. would call me and say, "Jack, this house is coming on the market. Will you, will you take care of it?" I said, yeah. "Sure." So I would buy the houses. I would fix them up. Always have a, a new bathroom, uh, a new kitchen. And a nice dining room chandelier. That was my brand, and it, and then Deborah would pick uh, unique colors to the exterior of the house yeah. too. So uh, make, yeah, it and- make it pop. Make it pop. The curb appeal was a big thing, and I'd sell those houses pretty quickly.
0: So so you're doing you're doing state senator campaigns. You're state director of agriculture. You're flipping properties, um, and 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 then you start. You know, one you're selling properties. You're flipping them. Well, now you get into, um, I, I want what, to, what next, right? Actually,
1: I, uh, I wanted to, I had to take a stand for who I was. And I had to realize who I was as a future because I yeah. understood. And I really believe that we live into our future. People, most people think that the future just happens, but I don't believe that. I believe that if we take a stand, if we create a possibility of who we are in the future, then we can live into it. And it's got to be more than I'm going to be rich in the future. Yeah. What I took a stand for was the development of the community. Uh, I was disillusioned in politics throughout all the Watergate scandal and all the, the stuff that was going on. Yeah. And I was there and I, I participated and saw what was going on inside the political arena. And I was very disillusioned. Uh, it, It was upsetting to me, but I knew that I wanted to make a difference. I knew I wanted to develop the community and be a part of that, but I didn't want to do it in politics. So I realized that what was calling me was a spiritual calling. So I went to seminary. I got two master's degrees and one in psychology, one in theology, and became an entrepreneurial priest. (laughs) yeah so uh, yeah sounds like an oxymoron to (laughs) me somebody asked me you know why 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 did you go through the ordination why did you become a priest i said simply put power and some people get freaked out when i say that But power is a good thing if used appropriately yeah so i had a different set of credential credentials other than i was a politician statewide campaign manager I was a member of the clergy. I was a member of the community that wanted to develop some good stuff. Yeah. And uh so I I was in that arena. And that worked very well. I developed uh, three retirement homes. Uh I developed. I, I founded a church and, and started it, developed it, built it. Uh so I was an entrepreneurial priest at that point. That's amazing. Which is very unique situation. Yeah. But then again I got called on to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because you
1: know, that's who I was. Uh, people wanting to develop something in that arena, develop something in the community. I had the advantage of, I had the political connections as well. Yeah. to Go into that community and work with the the director of development, the city manager, the mayor, the council, and get those projects through city. I also founded a school in the process. Yeah. And we did that in four months. We we from... Conception to opening doors was four months, and that's they said amazing. they said that was absolutely impossible to do. And I said, "Well, no, I think God wants us to do that."
0: Yeah. So they said, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and that's 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 a, a, a very interesting um, take because you go you, you, so so you go from politics to becoming a priest to to developing yeah. developing yeah. these different places mm-hmm. and and. I, I want to make I want to make a very important point because I think that a lot of people um, will skip over this or dismiss it, and I want to make sure that we understand. Like, like something that helped me in my journey as far as life goes, from playing professional soccer to becoming a, a, a real estate agent to now doing XYZ on the right. on the other side. We have what I have twelve entities at this point of so many different spaces. So, like. Uh, something that helped me was realizing that there's no set. There's no one telling you, you have to do this for the rest of your life. There's no box. There's no box. Unless you put
1: yourself in a box yeah. and then you have to build that box yourself.
0: But you're the perfect example that there is no box, right? You right. come from, you You went from one space, to the next space to another space where people might've said, well, that doesn't really make sense. They, they, they did say yeah. that. <laughs> And that's and that's what I'm saying. So but like, it made
1: it made perfectly sense to me, Cyrus. I had my vision. I had my purpose. I lived into to it, and I love the results. Yeah. You know, I, I I I a prayer I say is God, may this place be a better place when I die. Uh, I can say that. A lot of people cannot say this will be a better place because of me when I die. I can say that yeah. because I've accomplished that. You know, if I were walk out of here and die today. This will be a better place. Yeah. And that's what I lived into and I'm having fun with
0: it. Yeah. And I think that's so inspiring for not just only me, but I think that the people that will be listening to this from now until forever, right, will will look back on this and and, and realize that. And that's so powerful. So I didn't want to skip over that. But then yeah. I wanna I wanna dive a little bit more. I'm gonna take us into a different route, and maybe not the route some people want to hear, but um you you battled cancer. As well. Well, some people call it
1: battle, but I did not because that was a paradigm that I didn't want to participate in. And I'm very, very, very much believe that if we choose our words carefully, they will serve us. If we don't choose our words carefully, they will work against us. Yep. So I never used the word battle. Uh, what I realized was I had some crazy cells that they call cancer. And they had chronic lymphocytic leukemia, so they were too many white blood cells in my body. My switch would not turn off. My body kept producing all these cancer cells. So that wasn't a battle. I just had to to get my body to cooperate. Yeah, and I had to I had to do that in a way. I had to employ the appropriate doctors uh, at I took chemotherapy for 10 years, which was a challenge. Uh, But there again, I had to speak myself and live myself into that vision of total health. Uh, Some people, and it is a miracle. I had a lot of people praying for me. I started a school. There were 600 kids every morning that would say a prayer for me. Uh, It was just amazing. So what I did is I recruited a lot of really neat people to be a part of my healing. Yeah. And uh, sometimes a, a certain oncologist would not work, would not be the one I wanted on my team. So I, I ended up firing about three oncologists. But I found the one that really, really worked, Dr. Leonard Sender. And he he told me, he said, Jack, what you need, what will save you and, and, and cure you. I said, wait a minute, did you say the word cure? He said, yes, I do. He said, we don't want to use that word. But uh that's what it can do. It can cure you. And he said it's a stem cell transplant. And this was this was in nineteen ninety three, which was uh very early in the stem cell transplant. Yeah, it's the year I'm born. Yeah. Uh so <laughs> I, I, I said, uh, let's go for it. He said, Let's do. So I received my brother's stem cells of uh, it was a challenge because I had what was called grass versus host disease, which means that my new immune system was attacking my body. So it literally was destroying my body. So for a year and a half, they had to shut down my immune system. They, they call it the bubble boy. I had to be uh, totally isolated for a year and a half. And it could only be with my wife, uh, Deborah. Uh, she's the trooper and all this. Uh, but during that during that time, I thought, well, after I get cured from this cancer and get over this, this, uh, uh, grass versus host disease, how am I going to keep on keeping on? They told me I didn't need to be back in the arena the public arena, being with kids and all that kind of thing because of my immune system needed to get developed. So I thought I'm going to go into residential real estate.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, that, and, here we are. And, and, and at that time, I know because of because of our history, but at that time you were selling millions of dollars of real estate. Yeah. back in the day. Yeah, and I was buying a lot of real and estate. buying yeah. millions yeah. of dollars of real yeah. estate. Yeah, and this is when you know we're in Southern California now. You know, every home is a million dollars, but yeah. this is not at that time. So no,
1: they were averaging about four
0: hundred. Yeah, and and so so you know you go through this, you do real estate, you. You crushed it, you did well, and then you retired.
1: Well, and- the, the, um, I planned to retire in 2013 with 100 properties. But then, uh, I, at that point, I thought California's economy is immune to anything that can happen. Well, that's where I was A wrong. A lot of people were wrong about that. Yeah, I thought, I thought that the Pacific Rim, the Asian market, uh, with all the people that wanted to buy in california that there was no way that it would tank yeah but then came 2008 2007 eight and nine and it did tank i watched it i knew when it was going to happen uh, uh actually at that time my mortgage broker worked for me and one other person so we were huh. we were his we were his client base yeah because i was doing that much business with him and he caught it crashed i think it was april of that year and he called me in february he said no more loans jack and i said you mean for my clients he said no for you i said what the hell yeah. <laughs> i used to say i cannot because what i was doing is leveraging properties, yeah like everybody else was doing uh i would get at home equity lines and then go out and buy some more properties. yeah uh he said no more loans and he said sell i said i've never heard that word before in my life yeah you know, i'm not going to sell in 2008 i'm going to sell in 2013 and then buy my uh, home in the Caribbean and have a yacht in the Caribbean, one here. Yeah. He said, nope, sell. So we, we sold everything at that point. And it as history will tell you, it tanked, 2008, yeah. 2009. I was going to get back in the business after that, and then uh, I, I, I put out the shingle and realized I was working for the mortgage company. I wasn't working for the client because they over over-regulated out of fear yeah. After the recession, and uh, it was it was awful the way that the the loans were being processed. And uh, I would bring I would bring uh, properties up to the day of escrow, and then the, the loan officer would call and say, "Nope, we're not going to do it." Yeah. For just little stuff. I mean,
0: just stuff that would tear your heart. Out. Yeah. And then and then he retired. So I'm gonna I catch everybody.
1: Yeah, I, I I did all right when I sold those properties. Yeah, and I went and bought a nice yacht.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And I said, I said, we just go sit on the yacht from now. <laughs> and I was having a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and this guy Cyrus City comes <laughs> and
0: sit with him. Um, and so at the time we met, you and I met, and I tell everybody the story, and everybody trips out because they're like, "How did you meet Jack? You know, yeah. you guys are totally different ages, different yeah. backgrounds, right. so yada yada." And well, I had well, the same fun. Exactly, exactly. And um, it was uh, my ex dragged me to a Christmas party. Yeah. And my Deborah took you to a Christmas party that I did not want to go to. Exactly. And we were the only two guys there.
1: Well, so, they were they were playing this this well the ladies didn't think it was silly this little swap
0: game where you uh, the, swap. the white elephant.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you swap all these ridiculous presents and I end up with a box of cupcake recipes and you got the butterfly
0: approach
1: and so we named me cupcake and you butterfly <laughs> Best of, that's exactly and, that's how butter cake properties got exactly started.
0: and I was in um and I was in uh, I was still playing soccer at the time and right. we we like the, the coolest thing is is that before we even became business partners you were a mentor of mine just in life in general and and, that uh, you know, I talk about this all the time as well, but you and I, we met, we had a good time. I think I left to like,
1: you I left to, to Costa, Rica. Costa
0: Rica or the yeah. Philippines or somewhere. Costa Rica, yeah. I remember.
1: I said, well, will you get back to California? He said, "Jack, I'm going to be playing in Costa Rica. I said, no, you're coming back to California, sir. Yeah.
0: And we we'll go get together. Yeah, and we were. I, again, I spoke that into Yeah, this. you did. It was two, it, it, like, I think the next day or two days after we, I left. Then I came back and I called and we went on your you had what? Uh, the sailboat. Yeah. And we went on the sailboat at that time. And uh, and then we just hung out, what, like every other day at that point? Yeah, it was, it was really fun. And fun. Um, and then I got I my car. I was retired. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I was an athlete. So I'd train in the mornings and then I was well, done. Well, you yeah. had a good, you were a good friend. Yeah. And so we, uh, we, we would hang out all the time. And then I got my car accident. And then we sat on the back of the boat, uh, yeah, back okay. of the yacht, sorry. Yeah. Um and uh and and when I when I looked at you and I said, Hey, I think I'm gonna get into real estate, you said, Well, how do you think I pay for all this? And I looked at you like, <laughs> What the heck? And because because up until then we really just were hanging out, talking, right. doing whatever. And then I was like, Wait a second. And um and I said, Well, I'm gonna get into real estate on one condition if you do it with me. Yeah. Well, and you said we no. Well, <laughs> You know, said no. I, I, I was having fun. And then, and then I think what, what, what struck you was you wanted a bigger yacht. Well, I had a conversation <laughs> with Deborah. It was actually a week
1: before. And I said, Deborah, I want a bigger yacht. She said, You do not need a bigger yacht. I said, Well, I want one with the, you know, the, the galley. I want one with a full galley and a dining area and a really bar in the main salon. Bar, you know, rough life. Well,
0: and you wanted the the grand piano on
1: it. Well, Deborah said she would live on it if I had a
0: grand piano.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm throwing this at her. She said, you're not going to spend our residual income, our retirement income on a bigger yacht. I said, well, I'll just go make more money. She said, get busy. So that was in the back of my head. When <laughs> he said
0: this
1: because it was a week old. And I thought, wait a minute, I can get a bigger yacht. Yeah. So I said, yeah, let's go into
0: business. And then the rest is history, and now we're here. Here we are. Here are. Now, no, um,
1: it's not just history, Stars. You grew the company, man. Thank I, you.
0: I, I provided the soil, right. and you grew the tree. Thank you, thank you. I, I truly believe. I, I, I truly believe that. Um, my mom, my mom always says. Everybody always is like, "Oh, you raised your boys so well, you know, or your kids yeah. so well, or whatever." And 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 my mom always says, "Look, like, their dad planted the the tree. Right. I just watered it." Yeah. And um, I, I truly think that, you know, without the foundation that we built together, we wouldn't be able we to grow. It. We what did
1: we did it. We had a vision. Uh, I remember the day we sat down and wrote lids on the board, yep. on the whiteboard, L-I-D-S, loyalty, integrity, drive, and service. And that was like a prayer exercise. I mean, we were in the spirit of generosity when we did that. And that's why we put service at the end.
0: And I think that's, I think that, that it, you know when we're looking at just for for anybody that list, that's listening that's looking for a business partner that's looking for someone to to build with like i think the reason that you and i do so well together is because our core values are exactly the right, same right we may not look the same we may <laughs> no we, we, i'm better looking we may not talk the same <laughs> we may not listen to the same music oh, I'm no, getting you not. into some hip well, listen <laughs> to the same music cuz i have choice that's all you know, but at the end of the day, our core values are the same, and and that's what really creates a powerful uh, uh, partnership. I right. think, right. Um, whether it's business, personal life, whatever right. it is, it's, your core values are the same, then you can grow together. Um, that's true, and also Sarah, we we carry that forward with our agents. Yeah,
1: so that's that's that loyalty, integrity, driving service the lids are, are what we hold out. Yeah, uh, and that's that's the benchmark for our new agents. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, we won't hire anybody unless they yeah. have those traits. Yeah. Um, so, so before we we cut this podcast off, I, I want to I want to ask you um, one question. Okay. You have one single piece of advice that you could give someone that's struggling with they don't know what they want to do in their life, they don't know. Uh, 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 they fill a pool from other people that are telling them to do one thing and not the other. What's your piece of advice?
1: Create a vision. Like I said, to begin with, I I, I articulate the vision. And with me, it was around building community and serving those people within the community. Uh, We do that with our real estate. Uh, It doesn't have to be real estate. It doesn't have to be that your vision is creating community and helping those in the community, but have a, a, a vision, have a statement that is your vision statement that you can live into. And that has to be something that, you, that excites you. When you wake up in the morning, you put your feet on the ground, and it has to drive you to, to appreciate that new day. So create that vision, be able to articulate it very clearly, and in that vision, include generosity. You, you have to have that as an element. Whatever your vision is, you got to come from generosity. So uh, that's the service part of our yeah. lives. we got to give back to this world. And, again, it's uh, leave the world a better place. That would be my, my sentence would be leave the world a better
0: place. That's amazing, Jack. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I'm excited to continue growth with you. And I'm excited to push this out because I think this is going to be a lot of value for people well, that so are going to be listening to